My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. We're born man, woman, and sexual beings. That quote accredited to Virginia Johnson, a sexologist best known for her work with fellow researcher Dr. William Masters, would probably seem controversial and risque in some circles today. When they first began their work in the late 1950s, however, far fewer people, if any, would have considered or uttered such words in public. While I personally believe we have a long way to go regarding the exploration and celebration of sexuality, particularly for women in our culture, thanks to Masters and Johnson, we are far better off than we used to be. Without their work, we might still be taught that clitoral orgasms are inferior, that penis size determines whether women orgasm at all, and learn virtually nothing about multiple orgasms unless we came upon them through experience. No pun intended. And that is not all. If you're familiar with the book or hit TV series, Masters of Sex, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm thrilled and honored today to introduce you all to the mastermind behind Masters of Sex. Award-winning biographer Thomas Mayer not only wrote the book, but serves as a producer on the smash hit TV series, both of which chronicle the remarkable lives of Masters and Johnson. Thanks so much for being here, Thomas. I appreciate the invitation. Of all the biographies that you could have written uh, next, why did you choose this one? Well, when I started this uh, project, I was already working on another book about Dr. Spock, the baby doctor, kind of the consequences of sex, you know, having babies and such. Uh, and I, w- I work as a reporter here in New York for the newspaper Newsday, and I was asked to interview Dr. Masters almost, it's almost 20 years ago that they first asked me, I was writing this book about Spock, but asked to interview Dr. Masters. So I did, and I talked to him for about a half hour. It was on the day of his retirement. Uh, and I, when I got off the phone, I wrote a story for Newsday, but I thought about it. And it's one of those ideas that kept with me, the idea of a man and a woman, not married, studying love and sex, not necessarily in that order, uh, and who then get married, become world famous as, as the gurus of sex research, uh, who are emblematic of this whole sexual revolution uh, during the 1960s and 70s. And then after 20 years of marriage, get divorced, and they never talk about it, and nobody knows why. So to me, that was just a, a, a fantastic subject. And so I finished the Dr. Spock book. Then I did a book about the Kennedys right away because of of, uh, of, a, of a, uh, a commitment that I had to do that. But as soon as I finished that, I came back to the subject of Masters and Johnson. Ten years later, I'm thinking about this. So that would have been about 2005, 2006. And by that point, Dr. Masters had uh, died. But Virginia Johnson was in her 80s, uh, about, about 80 or so, and she agreed to talk to me. And she was just a terrific 
uh, subject to be interviewed. Um, she just had so many secrets that she was willing to share by that point in her life. And I convinced Dr. Master's family to cooperate. And they also provided with me an unpublished memoir that Dr. Masters had written. It wasn't particularly uh, self-reflective, but it provided a lot of the facts, particularly about Dr. Masters' childhood and his, his relationship uh, with his fathers and, and kind of the brutality that he uh, endured and some of the other facts about his life. So put this all together, and that's how the story began. Fascinating. They're just, I think they're two of the most fascinating people. And I was so thrilled to, to find out about the book and then also the, the TV series as well. Uh, what about, the, or from the research process, I'm sure that you learned a lot, as you said, the, they'd been pretty secretive. But what did you personally find really fascinating or surprising that stands out for you? Well, without doubt, the most fascinating thing to me was the relationship between Virginia Johnson and Dr. Masters. You know, it began as a very unequal relationship, almost like the Pygmalion myth or kind of like, well, if you remember My Fair Lady, the professor, and the, and the, you know, the woman who literally is desperate for a job who comes in off the, off the streets. And it's a very unequal relationship between the powerful male and the subservient woman. Um, Virginia Johnson was hired as a, a secretary for Dr. Masters, really didn't have any background in medicine whatsoever, but she was desperate for a job. She was 32 years old at that point. She was ending her second marriage. She had two children, and she was going back to school looking for a job to help pay for, the, for her, uh, her living expenses. And Dr. Masters was looking for a female uh, partner. There were no do- female doctors at the time who were uh, interested in doing this. As a matter of fact, there were very few female doctors to begin with at the time. And the reason why they weren't interested, because this was going to be a very controversial study. It was examining how human sexuality takes place, not by surveys, but by, by actually watching it in a laboratory and documenting it the way you would a map if you were a cartographer. So all of this stuff, uh, you know, the, the, the combination of the two, the unequalness, and then how they became equals, and how uh, Virginia Johnson, through the dint of her effort and through her native genius about human nature and how how uh, things work between men and women, um, how she became more and more of an equal uh, with Dr. Masters. And for those of people who are following uh, my book as it's portrayed on the Showtime series, the second season, we're just beginning to see where Virginia is a little bit more uh, of an equal with Dr. Masters, although he's clearly very much the boss. Yeah, I've I've noticed that as well, and I think it's so interesting, especially at that time for a woman to, you know, I, I know her personality seemed pretty independent, but the way that uh, the dynamic between them is 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 very interesting. Uh, what, um, how was it was it sort of interacting with the the family and those who um, knew them? Do you feel like they are portrayed um, accurately in in the show? Yeah, I think particularly the relationship between Masters and Johnson, which is the heart of my book, and it's the heart of the show, I think is very accurately portrayed 
by both Lizzie Kaplan, who plays Virginia Johnson, and Michael Sheen, who plays Dr. Masters. Uh, in the case of Lizzie Kaplan, she looks a lot like Virginia Johnson, but she also has captured that independent-minded woman spirit that Virginia Johnson embodied well ahead of her time uh, in the 1950s, 1960s, and 70s. But I think she, that that spirit is very much, I think, part of young women today. So I think I, I'm finding a lot of young women tell me, uh, you know, and, and, and young men as well, how much of Virginia Johnson seems of their age, even though it's 50, 60 years ago uh, when we begin the story. In the case of Dr. Masters, uh, he doesn't physically look exactly like uh, Michael Sheen, but I think Michael Sheen has brought uh, a real uh, verisimilitude, I believe is the word, you know, a real accuracy to the essence of Dr. Masters as kind of a hard-boiled doctor, a guy who is extremely talented, very ambitious, uh, willing to risk everything, including his family life and his profession, to seek and win a Nobel Prize. You know, bear in mind, Dr. Masters, for those of people who are watching the Showtime series, he's constantly referring to the study, the study, as if it's the Holy Grail. Mm -hmm. And for an ambitious scientist, the idea of winning a Nobel Prize uh, is one of those things that does make people very driven. In the case of Masters, as I mentioned, he's, he's very determined that his study is going to document exactly how the human species progresses. In other words, how the fundamental act of procreation, sex, takes place. It's something that medicine was aware of, but medicine was very afraid of documenting it. Bravely, boldly, and, with, and at great risk to his his uh, livelihood and his own life in many ways, his, you know, certainly his life at home. Uh, Dr. Masters go ahead, goes ahead and pursues this with great diligence. Absolutely. And one thing I found so fascinating about him and his determination, even though he is very much this strong uh, kind of dominant male figure, he also has almost no issue, it seems, it seems no issue with uh, you know, presenting female sexuality as, as powerful and saying all of these really empowering, you know, facts about female sexuality when a lot of other people were not quite um, perhaps ready to, to hear that or to embrace it. I found that very interesting. Oh, it's as, as well it is. You know, it's interesting because here they are, they do this experiment, and what their data is showing is that women have a greater sexual capacity than men. Uh, in many ways, um, women are a virtual fireworks display compared to the single firecracker of a man when it comes to uh, sexual orgasm. That's what their data is finding. That, in other words, that women are, are capable of being multi-orgasmic, uh, during sexual encounters, whereas men are usually one and out, if you will. Um, and, and yet this is the test that they ask. So here they have this information that's incredibly uh, controversial. Because bear in mind, when they were doing this, Freud and Freud's views were at the height. 
that in, it, male, the male dominance of, of Freud's views are inherent throughout his work and were very much reflected in American culture. So to have science, scientifically proven that women are not only the equals of men, but they actually have a greater capacity for men was something that even they, Masters and Johnson, realized was something that they would have to almost candy coat and uh, if you go back and you read their book in 1966, they do a lot of, uh, the, their language indicates that th- there's an equality between uh, men and women in terms of sexual response. But then when you get into what they actually say in the book and their data, you realize, as eventually more and more people realized, was that women actually are greater than men sexually, and at least, you know, in terms of clinical uh, observation that, that they're, you know, that they found in the lab. Uh, so this was incredibly controversial. Uh, and so they kind of, uh, you know, tiptoed around it in their book. But there it is. As you read the book carefully, everybody who read it eventually realized that their findings were that women had a greater capacity. And this was something that really emboldened the feminist movement of the late 60s and 70s. As more and more people read their book, they realized the consequences socially, uh, politically, and culturally of Masters and Johnson's uh, findings scientifically. And it really had a big impact on the sexual revolution of that time period. That's wonderful. I'm going to have to read that book. Uh, your book, um, I the the full title, uh, the subtitle is actually "The Life and Times of William Masters and Virginia Johnson: The Couple Who Taught America How to Love." Uh, and I think I understand why you chose that. I think it's wonderful. Why, but what were your personal reasons that you wanted to tie uh, love into the equation and not just uh, sexuality as a science? Well, you know, it's interesting as I think about it, you know, both the cover, the title of my book, and for people who have watched the opening credits of Masters of Sex, there's a lot of sight gags, and then the music uh, is a tango music and such. Uh, my book, both of them are meant to be ironic and kind of cheeky, if you will. I think that's how the British would call it, cheeky. But, you know, it's meant as a little bit of pun, uh, with humor and a bit of pun, which is reflected, I think, in both stories on television and in my book. Um, the whole idea of the couple, the life and times of William Masters and Virginia Johnson, the couple who taught America how to love, um, plays on a lot of different things. First of all, it says you, you know, it's a subtitle. It, tells you it's the life, their life and times, uh, the times, uh, you know, underlining the times that it's the sexual revolution. But then when I say it's the couple who taught America how to love, well, you know, there's all those famous how-to books. Dr. Spock's baby book was a famous how-to book. America loves how-to books. So there, Masters and Johnson's books were read in some regard as a how-to book in terms of sexuality. A lot of couples who were having difficulties, read their books as a how-to book in many ways. That's why they were so popular in the 60s. Um, But the idea of how to love, that was the ultimate irony, because as Masters and Johnson went along, they realized they had provided a lot of information about sexuality. 
but people were still clueless about communicating between themselves, about human intimacy, about the essence of love and what, what, what it's all about. And for married couples who were their primary patients coming uh, to see them and having difficulties in the bedroom, you know, it was all about the physical expression of love. Uh, and the, the ultimate iron, irony of my book and also of the Showtime series is that Masters and Johnson themselves ultimately had great difficulties with the how-to of love, that they could give out advice about sex and love, but they themselves had great difficulty living up to it. So these are all the various different ironies that are implicit in the subtitle. It's so fascinating, and uh, and I, I really appreciate the irony, and I think that a lot of people relate to that too because we can learn so much, and then love is always complicated. So, And I love the scenes uh, both in the... Uh, TV show that you also talk about in the book, you know, the couple sessions are fascinating. I know there's that one couple they actually think that that having sex is sl- like sleeping together is simply sleeping in the same bed and uh, that in the book I read uh, that that was actually a very true thing. That's, you know, that that's how little uh, education there was. That's pretty fascinating. It is. You know, um, somebody like Lizzie Kaplan kind of represents, to some extent, I, I think is uh, like a lot of women today, but she was, a, she was, a, she was more of a modern woman like today. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to re- to imagine, particularly for younger people, uh, just how ignorant a lot of people were about the the very basics of sex. This is before sex education classes became mandatories in high school and things of that nature. So, you know, people were very ignorant about sexuality. What I think this book does, though, is um, I think it makes people think about today's climate in which we are saturated with sexual imagery. Everybody knows all the mechanics. It's almost like the complete opposite, the opposite side, that we are so filled with internet imagery, sexual imagery found on the internet, of ads on, uh, for Viagra on television. Um, and yet I think more than ever we're clueless about love. And I think that there's uh, a real interest in our show, Masters of Sex on Showtime, and in my book, because a feeling among young guys, I find, interestingly enough, because there's so much conversation about sex, but so little about how to relate to the feelings of women, about intimacy, about, you know, respecting one another. And in its own way, the show has got, um, I wouldn't say a, a conservative message, but it's not about uh, just, you know, showing nudity on cable TV. So a lot of it is about what makes men and women tick and about the, the affairs of the heart. Uh, and anybody who stays with the show or reads my book ultimately understands that was the essence of the story of Masters and Johnson. That's beautiful. Is that is that what you hope people take away from the book? Is that your your goal in writing, I imagine, was to you know tell the the authentic story and all. Um, but that must be gratifying. Do, is that the response you're getting and kind of what you're hoping? Oh yeah, I, I yeah I I genuinely was trying as a biographer once I had all the facts to write a piece of biographical art. You know, in other words, there were so many eternal themes 
in their story, that that certainly was my aim as a biographer, to try to write something that would last, you know, and, and would talk about these, these never-ending questions that all men and women think about, about their lives and, and about intimacy, human intimacy and being understood by a loved one, by another one. Um, and I think the show has been able to take my book and go even further with it, it's just because of the nature of television. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of hours of television that's going to be devoted to their story. So I'm thrilled to see what has happened. The show has been, uh, you know, roundly uh, applauded by the critics, but I'm really happy that it stirred a lot of deep questions about the relationship between men and women and, and kind of underlined that misogyny or sexism is still one of the great nagging. It really is the last remaining civil rights issue of our time. I think misogyny and men uh, learning particularly to understand, appreciate, and ultimately love women is at the heart of the story. Absolutely. I definitely uh, take that from the story. And I have to say that I don't uh, typically read a lot of biographies. I've read, read a lot of memoirs and, and things like that. But your your book really is so compelling and so entertaining. And I just, regardless of the topic that I have a you know keen interest in, I was so um, drawn in. And I hope that everyone who sees the show, listens to or reads the book and or listens to the book, I saw that it's, uh, you can also get the um, just the, the uh, audio track too. Um, and vice versa. I think that the two together are great because, as you said, TV can go deeper in one way and uh, the book goes deeper, you know, into their childhoods and things like that. And there's such such neat complementary pieces. Uh, what do you uh, have next in the pipeline? What's up after this uh, this project? Well, um, I, on uh, October 30th, I have something completely new and different, as they say. Uh, I have a new book. It's an 800-page biography of the Churchills and the Kennedys. It's called When Lions Roar, and it's coming out from uh, Crown, which is an imprint with Random House. And it's a study from 1930 to 1970 looking at the Churchill family and the Kennedy family and a lot of the unknown relationship between them. I found a lot of surprising things, uh, and uh, it's been a delightful uh, change of pace after Masters of Sex. Fantastic. Well, I'll have to check that out. Thank you so much for, for joining me today, and uh, I wish you all the best in, in everything you're doing. Thank you so much for, for having me, and I hope everybody gets the chance to read the book and see the show on Showtime. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Isn't he fantastic? That was a great, great interview. I, I just can't say enough wonderful things about both the TV show and the book. And as I said, they go together so beautifully. Um, I'm actually reading the book a second time as I watch the show. And the only kind of regret that I have about the, the TV show is that it can't just keep on going forever because, you know, their, their lives end, <laughs> their work ends. So, um, but I'm, I'm really savoring every bit. So if you have the chance, definitely, definitely check it out. To learn more about Thomas Mayer, visit his website. That's thomasmayerbooks.com. Mayer is spelled M-A-I-E-R. You can also connect with him on Twitter and find his book on Amazon.com, among 
many other uh, major booksellers. Uh, Masters of Sex airs every Sunday night at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Um, I've actually watched the first seasons now available uh, on demand on a uh, Amazon. You can get the whole first season. Um, and I believe it also streams um, Showtime.com. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and review, and hop over to my website, AugustMcLaughlin.com, for show extras and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.